Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Well, I couldn't keep away. I just love talking cricket. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm Menas. I'm joined by my co-host, Paul. How are you, Paul? Good, Menas. It's great that we've decided to spend our hiatus from doing podcasts by doing some podcasts. Yeah, I've just found myself um, the last two weeks watching a lot of cricket, um, you know, not just test matches and ODIs, but T20 blasts and all, all sorts of stuff. So I just can't keep away from the game, my love. And, um, you know, with the test series against Sri Lanka starting this week, I thought it would be the perfect time to just jump in. There's some, been some big news in Australian cricket concerning David Warner and the Big Bash and then you know, look ahead at what should be a really interesting two tests against Sri Lanka in Gaul. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, a lot to look forward to, Paul. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the test series immensely. I have been quite strategic in the last few weeks, not watching as much of the, the T20s and 50-over games as I, I've done for a very, very long time. But that's partially because I really um, I want to try to watch every ball of the of the test series, which is going to be quite interesting, juggling a few other commitments. But, um it was good to sort of freshen up. I still follow them. I watched bits and I've um, read about them. But, oh, it's been a long, long time since I've kind of had a, um, a little bit of a, a break from following the Australian team. And I'm yeah, really, really keen for the Test Series. I think it's going to be fascinating. 2016 was fascinating. I think this one's going to be just as good. Yeah, I agree. Before we get into the stuff in Sri Lanka, just two bits of um, news that's um, more domestic that uh, David Warner's um, – leadership ban within Australian cricket looks set to be um, discussed at the next meet Australian cricket board meeting. And uh, I think that's very interesting that they're going to revisit his leadership ban. I think it's the right thing. I mean, I think that um, what he did was really bad and he deserved um, a strong punishment for it. I think if you draw a line through the level of punishment that he got, then it is a bit excessive. I mean, to be banned for life from leadership after being banned for a year from the game and all of the um, the indirect huge financial ramifications and everything that, that he went with, 
I mean, if he'd done something really genuinely um, deplorable, like smack someone over the head with a bat, what's he going to do? Get the death sentence? Um, I think it's the right time to revisit that and say he's he's been banned for a long time from a leadership position. I think he definitely is in the conversation for our next white ball leader. So from a pragmatic point of view, I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah, I agree. And perhaps, you know, in the through the passage of time, maybe a little bit more um, credence is given to the fact that David Warner was under immense pressure and, you know, what was, hap- what was happening to his wife off the field with, I don't even want to talk about it, but what, what the South African fans were doing to Candace Warner. Uh, I think as time has gone on, I think people have perhaps, well, I have been a bit more sympathetic to the fact that Warner was probably under, you know, immense emotional pressure at the time and that maybe wasn't taken into account when um, dishing out a life ban. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, um, but I also think that his behaviour since then, he, he, he's, a, um, he's quite a good role model now. And um, the way that he you know, comports himself, and um, he, it's been, he's been very good since then. And I think, yeah, he's made a mistake. He's paid a, a, very, hefty, a very hefty price for it. And I don't, think it's in any, I don't think it's in anyone's interest for the band to be continued. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I guess um, the main reason they're doing it is to try and induce him to play back in the Big Bash because he said he's not going to play. Um, so that's one reason. But if something were to happen to Aaron Finch, say he were to get injured ahead of the T20 World Cup in Australia later this year, David Warner would be a natural um, fit to take over the leadership. He's probably our most experienced T20 skipper. I agree. And I think that it, um, you know, Cummins is the other choice, but I, I kind of like Cummins being captain of the of the test side only at this point rather than lumping him with everything. There's still questions of if he's always in our best T2011 as well, depending on certain conditions. Um, so I, I, I'd be more than happy for Warner to be the captain. And I think that the the energy, um, you know, the the you could just imagine the passion that he'd bring to it. And I, I think that'd be a good thing. Yeah, it's very divisive, though. As soon as the news came out about Warner, um, you know, there were, you know, people online who were who were saying that he should never be allowed in a leadership position again. And, um, you know, there are hardliners when it comes to Sandpapergate that will just never, I don't know, see the shades in the story. It's it's so black or white for them. And I, I think there will be a, a, you know, a section of the fans who wouldn't be happy if Warner was Australian captain. Yeah, and look, I can understand that. And I'm not diminishing how disappointed and horrified I was at the whole affair. I just hope that the people who are you know, never happy to, to see him uh, captain again and who, you know, the same people who might be very happy for him and Smith to have never been allowed to be back, do they follow that same form for all things? That, you know, if you're going to be that harsh on them, then, you know, the only logical conclusion is that, that Ben Stokes should never have been allowed to play cricket again, given what he did was a hundred times worse than what Warner did. Yet I don't think that's the case. I'm happy for Ben Stokes to play cricket and happy for him to be, to be captain of England. I think that it's a, it's a sense of proportionality. And if you're going to demand the very biggest punishment to Smith and Warner, then I hope that you're consistent with that in other things and demand very, very big punishments for lots of things. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, the, you know, Athletes make their mistakes in a, in a public um, in for the public to see, whereas you know most people you know make their own mistakes, but it's it's not on a public stage. Um, 
Yeah, so look, that's been the talking point. So we'll see if that does get revisited. And as I said, you know, there's a, a move to try and get more Australian stars in the Big Bash. There's also um, been a, an announcement that they're going to have a, a BBL draft for overseas players, so a Big Bash draft. Paul, I mean, the structure of the draft, they're sort of, I guess, they're putting them in different uh, levels, the international players, aren't they? Yeah, so it's kind of... Um, you could nominate to be gold, you can nominate to be gold and silver, or you can nominate to be gold, silver and bronze. And what they're basically expecting is that the, the salaries will be 260K Aussie for gold, 175K for silver and 100K for bronze. And then there's also Cricket Australia will elevate players that they believe are superstars to a platinum level where you'll get paid 340k. So the different levels, it's kind of a little bit analogous to the BBL, uh, to the IPL, where you can set your reserve. So if you say, look, I'm only interested in gold, I don't want to come for, for less than that. And if that means that I therefore don't get picked up, well, so be it. And that's what you do with, with the IPL when you say, I'm going to put myself at the highest reserve. And if I therefore never get a bid, well, I'm comfortable with that. Other players who are just desperate to, to come might put themselves at gold, silver, bronze, and, and they're happy to get whatever they can get. So um, on, that, on that side of things, it sounds um, probably unnecessarily complex, but I can see why they've done it, and I, I don't think it's too bad an idea. And in that top platinum level, Cricket Australia is going to top up the money, aren't they, to try and get some really big stars? Yeah, well, I think Cricket Australia is going to top up the money for all levels, but much more so um, at the platinum level. So the platinum level... They're saying that the players can expect to earn about three hundred and forty thousand, um, and Cricket Australia is going to be um, putting in a, a fair degree of that. So, uh, of, of of the overall commitment that clubs need to have at the draft. So, in the draft, you have to purchase two players or three. You've got a choice of that, um, and it has to be one um, at that in the in the sort of platinum or gold level. So, what what I think the best thing about the draft is not so much that the draft itself will be a TV spectacle and the, the talking points and all that. that. That's all good. I think the best thing is that it signifies that Cricket Australia are determined to try to get better overseas players, that they're willing to pay to do so, and it's not going to be up to the clubs to ruin their own um, salary cap in order to do so. The salary cap's only $1.9 million. So clubs um, previously would naturally have been fairly reluctant to try to offer too much. But now I think if you're a... a a superstar, 340K, and it's important to note it's for how long you want to play. So if you only nominate for, say, half the tournament, you'll get paid 340K for half the tournament. Now, the clubs might might decide that because that's not long enough, they don't want to um, they don't want to pick you up. That's the risk that the player runs. But I think it does put us at least in a, an ability to compete with these other leagues. That you might say, well, what would you rather? 340K is a pretty healthy whack of money for five weeks' work. You might be able to get more at the new um, India back South African League or in the UAE League or the Bangladesh League. But Australia in summer. You know, it's the premium cricketing countries you know, in terms of the history of the game. It's a wonderful place to be in summer. The lifestyle would p- play a part. I think it at least gives us a chance to compete with so f- for some of those big names. Yeah, I agree with all those points. I also think that um, it'll mean that there's a sort of a better distribution of talent across the league. Uh, some teams have done really well recruiting overseas stars. Some teams haven't done as well, and maybe that's to do with the budget stuff you mentioned there. But this will ensure that I think there's a, a better distribution across the league. Um, uh, I, 
I don't think it solves all the problems that the Big Bash is facing in terms of talent. I, I think getting the Australian players back is probably more important um, because I, I don't even think the Australian, uh, international talent we've been getting is particularly weak. It's just that the, the Australian talent's not there. So if they can get the Australian talent in there, and that could happen because the one-day games that are scheduled to play against South Africa look like they won't go ahead, then you add the sort of the draft in with, you know, your players like Maxwell and Stoinis and Zampa and all those big names, Smith, um, playing in the Big Bash. We could actually have a pretty good summer. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. This is a good little bit. That the, the More than little, it's a good piece of the puzzle, but the big piece of the puzzle is getting the Australian players back. And I think that it, Cricket Australia's mindset was that this year, if they were forced to go ahead with those um, South African one-dayers, that was going to be the last year. Um, that From then on, it was going to be after the Sydney Test match, the decks are cleared and all the Australian players will be available for the Big Bash and heavily encouraged to participate in it. If this South Africa series does get cancelled, then that's just going to be brought forward a year. And I, I think that is a massive, massive um, change. The, the notion that once that 7th of January is finished and the Sydney Test match is over, that you can tune in to the Big Bash and you can see um, not just... Um, Maxwell and Stoinis and Zampa and the sort of the white ball players, but those those test players as well who haven't really been part of it. If you know if Smith's playing regularly and Cummins is playing regularly and Warner's playing regularly, then it really does elevate the league. And I think I, I think that's a massive step in the right direction. Mm, one one issue though that could be concerning is, um, say for example, Crystalline. He's out of contract. From, well, he wasn't given a contract by Brisbane Heat, so he's out of contract. He doesn't have a big bash contract. Chris Lynn could get offered a lot of money to go and play in these other overseas T20 leagues, and we could see some of our talent actually not playing in the big bash. I mean, Chris Lynn has been um, carving it up in the T20 blast. He's the leading run scorer. Well, he was a couple of nights ago, and um, he scored two centuries, a couple of 50s as well. He's been... He'll be so he'll be in hot, you know, he'll be in demand by these overseas leagues. So it's not good if our best talent's going overseas. Yeah, that's a really good point. But I, I think that's something that maybe they they'll be able to address. Let's let's assume that this year goes ahead as with the um, as I said after this after the Sydney Test, all the players are available and this big and the and the draft goes pretty well. But someone like Lynn does get poached by one of these other leagues, maybe then they can say, right, in the future, we also need some sort of way of keeping the best Australian players here as well. Some sort of Cricket Australia top up to, uh, you know, maybe they need to sort of deem a couple of Australian, or not, not a couple, but a, a handful of Australian players are at the are at the platinum level and, and that they will therefore um, pay them extra. But I'm sure also they'll be apply, applying a, bit, a degree of soft pressure, which might not apply so much to Lynn because he's almost at the point now where he is a free agent, but to... You know, you hinted it with Warner that they they're going to find a way to make him um, be in consideration for captaincy again. They'll they'll probably be pointing out to the Australian players, look, we really do want you to stick around here rather than going off to one of these other leagues, and we'll be very much more charitably disposed towards you in the future. Yeah, a player like Tim David is another one. I mean, he's getting paid a fortune to play in the IPL. He's he's another player that could be offered vast amounts of money to go and front, uh, you know, he- be a sort of headline act in some of these over t- overseas leagues. But I guess they could pl- apply a bit of pressure with him if he wants to well, play for the Australian side. 
I mean, regular listeners to this show will realise that my love for Tim that day, but has just come from nowhere. It now eclipses almost anything else in my life that I'd be. I'd be happy for them to have a Tim David level that only applies to Tim David and just pay him $2 million to play in this. Excellent. <laughs> uh, well, that's, the, that's sort of the main bits of cricket news. Um, so let's sort of look at look at the Sri Lankan tour. So Australia won the T20 Series 2-1 and they lost the five-match ODI Series 3-2. So a pretty good performance from Australia, you know, winning um, winning one and losing one series. I mean, I know you didn't watch a lot of it, but, you know, some of my general takeaways were, you know, it's been well publicised. A lot of injuries have affected the Australian side. So it was pretty hard to get a read on, I guess, uh, the overall form of the white ball sides because a lot of players were coming in and out. Stark was injured. Stoinis was injured. Agar was injured. Uh, Marsh came in and out. Head came in and out. Um, Kane Richardson went home. Um, so it's been, you know, come and set out a game. So it's been very hard to see to read on the form of the side. But by the end of it, you could see that the Sri Lankans were going back to their tried and tested method of beating Australia, which has produced absolute bunts and burners, um, pitches that turn from ball one and just see how we do. And, you know, that's a real indication of what we'll see in the two tests at goal. Big time. And as much as I don't agree that that's what sides should do, it does make for highly watchable test cricket that you can't take your eyes away from from matches like that. And I just think it's wonderful that we've had these white ball games before the test series. I remember in 2016, we actually won the white ball series over there. And, you know, maybe they didn't quite prepare. I think the pitches were nowhere near as turning. Um, they, play, they They probably just kind of keen to produce white ball pitches that were producing attractive cricket. But I, I think the fact that there's been, you know, some of those highlights of, of players um, being beaten all ends up by balls turning absolutely square and then the next one goes straight on, it's it's a very difficult thing to, to get used to. So at least that we've had um, that those white ball experiences to, 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 to get a little bit better at that. Um, whether we're, whether we'll be good enough, I'm not sure, but um, I do think we've got to pick our side based on. Um, there's no point picking a traditional side for the first test and then sort of realizing afterwards that we needed to be a little bit more uh, prepared to uh, adapt to the conditions. Like if we go in with three quicks um, or, or, or something like that, and um, we'll, we'll we'll be doing demonstrably the wrong thing. We've got to be aggressive right from the start with our selection. I think. Yeah, I agree. Uh, as you say, um, it's good that this the white ball stuff was before the test. I mean, David Warner got a got plenty of time out in the middle. Manus Labuschagne spent a bit of time out there during the uh, ODI series. Glenn Maxwell scored a match winning eighty one in the eighty one not out in the ODIs, and um, he's been in, included in the test squad. Which um, how happy were you when that news came out? Oh, I mean, I've said it before that they just keep on dangling the carrot for me that one day he's going to get back in the side. And I think this is going to be it, surely. That it, He's got to be picked in the 11. They're not that stupid as to not pick him. I mean, he'd be still one of the first players I'd pick in the side in, in those conditions, not for anything else, but for his bowling. That um, I was listening to Gilchrist on um, Waitley just before we, we've done this show, and he was talking about the, um, the time that he was over there um, – when it might have been ninety nine, maybe when or, or when Sri Lanka went in with basically only Chaminda Vas as the quick bowler, and he said by the end even he was bowling spin. Um, and 
that's what you need. That that Maxwell's spin bowling. I I could see him bowling quite a few overs, and um, you know, for me, he's a compulsory inclusion. Um, well, it all, I guess it all depends on how Head's fitness goes. But would you pick Maxwell ahead of Cameron Green if Head is fit? I pick Maxwell ahead of Head and Green, and uh, I, I find it. Um, bizarre that that's not the just a, just as, a, as an assumption that why would you want head to be ahead of maxwell in in a, in a subcontinental condition, conditions just because he has been the incumbent in the australian side in our conditions in summer and done fabulously well i see a long future for travis head on the australian side i'm not saying i wouldn't pick him but when he walks out to bat and australia is in the midst of a potential collapse um, who's going to inspire more confidence in you, um, Maxwell or Head? And although Head does bowl some half-decent off-spin, Maxwell's a far better off-spin bowler. So for me, Maxwell is above both Head and Green, um, but I'm not opposed to either of those being in the side either. Yeah. Yeah, Maxwell was drafted into the squad. Also, three spinners are staying back, Matt Coonham and Todd Murphy and John Holland because Ashton Agar has been ruled out of the first test. So I guess, the, I mean, do you want to look at the possible Australian Test eleven? I mean, yeah. the, the top four seems pretty clear. You've got Warner and Kawaja opening, which I actually think is probably some of the, probably one of the best opening partnerships we've taken to the subcontinent in a long, long time. Agree strongly. And then Marnus Labashain at three. Um, Steve Smith at four, but he's recovering from a quad injury. He missed the back half of the white ball games. Um, but but I think he'll come up for the test. I think they're just being very careful because they know he's our best player of spin. I think that's um, not only our best two, um, numbers one and two in a subcontinental tour for a while. I, I, I know it's the same one that they had in Pakistan, but um, the, I think that top four, uh, when you compare it to top fours that we've had in tours of Sri Lanka in the past, I'm pretty happy with this one. Yeah, and Manus looked okay in the 50-over stuff. He, he he showed enough to me that I think he's got the tools to cope with the ball turning and um, the slower conditions. I mean, he's very quick on his feet. He, he's, he plays with his hands. He doesn't just sort of lunge at the ball. So I think he's equipped, but it is it is probably his first big test in turning conditions. He's only played in the UAE and Pakistan where the ball didn't turn. So we'll really get to see what he might be able to do in this tour and then looking ahead to India. Well, it's a really good point. Ponting talks about his first tour of India where he just failed completely. And ever since, ever after that, though, he actually did quite well in the subcontinent. And um, he was talking about, oh, your record in India is not so good. And he said, well, the first two was diabolical. After that, I did get better. So hopefully these one-dayers um, have started to do that for, for Labashain. And even looking ahead, even if he doesn't have a, a barnstorming test series, it's going to serve him well for the um, admittedly much more significant tour of India that we've got in um, February and March, where hopefully by then his ability to play in, uh, in the subcontinent is really honed. Mm. Um, and then number five. So this is where there's, you know, if Travis Head is fit, I, I, I think they'll probably play him um, at five. He's got that hamstring injury. And then it, maybe if he's not fit, Maxwell would come in. Um, I know what you'd do, but that, that's the way I think the selectors are going. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't think Head will be fit. 
I, I think Maxwell will play. I mean, the match starts Wednesday. So I think Maxwell will probably come in there and they might move Alex Carey up to five because he's a left-hander to try and split up all the right-handers in the middle. Um, but I'd like to see Maxwell in there um, instead of Head. Well, let's just assume that's that's how it pans out, that Head doesn't come back from injury and Maxwell goes in. Um, and so putting Maxwell just nominally for five, just for the sake of my head, um, that he, he goes at five. If we assume that they pick um, Green at six and Carey at seven, I know that's not necessarily what they'll do. The interesting thing is, what are they going to do about the fast bowlers? That uh, And it depends on how the pitch looks. I remember in 2016, Stark was effective with the new ball um, and got a little bit of reverse swing. If we do have Cameron Green in there as well, we've got that um, seam-up option. Um, maybe, and you're gonna, everyone's going to disagree with, with me on this, but maybe Cummins should show great leadership and say maybe he's not in the best 11 and that we need extra spinners or extra batters and that um, he should sit out. Well, that's, that's, that's a great point because if they play three spinners, which they've talked about, so say they play Lyon, Swepson, and then say Kuhneman or Holland, you know, Stark or Cummins would have to miss out. And Stark is probably a better option in those conditions. And I know that there's no chance of that happening and that the, the notion is that Cummins should never sit out because he's the captain and therefore he must be in the side. And I'm not especially bothered because I think he's such a fantastic bowler. He may well do better than Stark anyway. It just irritates me that it wouldn't even be countenance because of this you know, misguided belief that the, the, the captaincy is, is more important than actual um, picking the best 11 for the, for the side. But I, I just think it would, be, it would be wrong to go in with two fast bowlers, I think, given that they were already going to probably have Green in there as well. And it would be a great disappointment if at the end of the test match, let's revisit this at the end of that first test, and if they do pick those two quicks and we look and see, oh, Stark, 12 overs, one for 36 in the first innings. Cummins, 10 overs, none for 32. And in the second innings, um, they barely bowled at all. Then we'll say, that, look, you know, why do they go with both of them? Even pick another batter. If, if they're not going to get a bowl, then don't pick them. Mm. I guess if they didn't pick Green, um, they could pick an extra bowler maybe. But, yeah, no, I think Green's a good option is the seam up and bring something with the bat. Alex Carey batted well in the 50-over stuff, so that gives you a bit of depth in the batting. And then Lyon will play. Stark should be recovered from his finger injury. And then, look, I don't think they're going to pick three spinners in the first match. I think you'll see Stark, Cummins, Lyon, and then you'll probably see Swepson, Kuhneman or Holland, one of those three. Um, it seems like they're pretty set on playing a left-arm finger spinner. So Matt Gooneman made his debut in the ODI series, looked pretty good. Um, but I know, I mean, I know Andrew McDonald would have coached John Holland at Victoria and he'll he'll um, have a lot of faith in his ability to bowl overs in those conditions. Holland, I think, played in the last tour of Sri Lanka. He was flown over there. Um, was that right? He was flown over on one tour and I think it might have been Sri Lanka. So he's got yeah, experience in the... He's got experience in those conditions. So I've given you a lot there, listeners. None are very decisive. But, I, look, I think they'll go Lyon. Do you think they should stick with Swepson or look at, say, Kuhneman or Holland? They have to have a left-arm orthodox, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, just I'm still tormented by Herath's performance in 2016. of Just that you bowl uh, left arm around the wicket, the ball is fizzing in at middle and off, some spin 
and some go straight through and it's just so difficult to play. So I certainly favour the left arm orthodox over Swepson. Uh, I'm not completely opposed to the idea of Swepson being in there. Um, and I, I'm not convinced about Holland. His first class record, I'm just looking up, he only averages 33. I know playing in um, you know Australian conditions, it's not the... Not necessarily the, the easiest spot to um, to do well, but he hasn't really performed in the in the test matches that he's been given a chance in. He's been dis, he's been disappointing. So um, I haven't seen much of Kuhneman, but I think I'd favour him over Holland. Yeah, um, uh, from what I've seen, I haven't seen a lot between them. I'd probably actually, I'd probably give Holland a go just just because I think he's a bit of an old pro, like and. That that sort of experience he had would probably just favour Holland. Um, although Kuhneman was impressive in the white ball stuff, but I, I just think Holland's a bit cagey, and he's been on this podcast a couple of times, so I got to back him in. Um, <laughs> well, let's just have a look. Um, Kuhneman has, um, yeah, he averages thirty four in uh, first class cricket with the ball, so nothing all that special there. Although he's only played the eleven games. Um, yeah, um thing is, Kuhneman's batting average is better as well. The average is 24 and a half with the bat. And, um, you know, if they're line ball, then I think that's enough to get him over the line for me, given that, mm. um, um, yeah, Holland with the bat's only averaging 14. Yeah. So, well, that's interesting. Um, so, yeah, so, look, I think Australia will go two spinners, say line and one of the tweakers, then start Cummins and then green the all-rounder and then Labashain and either Maxwell ahead to bowl overs. I agree with you. They should look at three spinners. But, but I do think Stark and Cummins could do damage with the new ball against the Sri Lankan top order. It, it's not that strong. So I think, you know, we could benefit from having two quicks going at them with for the first 15 overs, maybe they're three for, um, because I think we'll find it hard. I, I think they'll play our spinners pretty well in their conditions. Yeah. I, I'm not saying not to pick two quicks, but I think you've got to look at the pitch. And if it is, if it is looking diabolical as um, to, to, to quote what Warner said about the 2016 pitches, um, you know, you, you do get to the point where you, you wonder why they, they bowl the fast bowlers at all. And if you argue, well, with Maxwell, with Lyon, with another spinner that you've already got enough spinning options and you don't need another one, pick another batter. Like, there's nothing wrong with just saying, let's go long with the, with the batting because that's where we've always struggled over there. We don't get enough runs. So mm. I have no problem with that at all. Yep. And uh, so Kusul Mendes, the Sri Lankan player, um, said to Aaron Finch after the ODIs that don't worry. Um, I think they were laughing about the pitches turning and Mendes said that uh, they'll be the same pitches for the test match, don't you worry. So Australia's going to have to face a lot of spin bowling. Um, um, I mean, Sri Lanka have two good quicks in Rajitha and um, Asitha Fernando, two very good quicks with the new ball. And then they've they've brought in Van der Say, the leg spinner from the ODI side. And then they've got Ramesh Mendes, Praveen Chikul, Jaya Wickrama and um, Lassith Embul Embuldenia Embuldenia. Yes, he did really um, well against England um, a couple of years ago. He's, he's he's a good bowler. So I think Australia is just going to be facing. We're going to be up against three spinners, and it's it's going to be a minefield for for our batters. The ball is going to be turning from day one, 
do you, do you think Australia can you know, muster up the skills to, to match Sri Lanka this time at home? I reckon that they'll do better than they did last time. I mean, last time it didn't help that all three matches uh, Sri Lanka got to bat first. Um, I think we are a much better side than we were then. I think we're a sort of um, a smarter side as well. We'll, we'll adjust to the conditions uh, better. I don't think Sri Lanka are as good. Um, and I, I sometimes think as well that if, if Sri Lanka go too far and produce pitches that are spinning so much, they can run the risk of actually uh, diluting their own um, home ground advantage. That That's what happened. Remember that first test match in, in India in, in uh, 2017 at Pune, where it was spinning so viciously that the Australian spinners were just as dangerous as the um, Indian spinners. Um, you know, it's... Um, you can go too far and then it becomes, you know, if, if Glenn Maxwell is starting to spin at three feet, then it, it becomes a bit more of a lottery. And, and then I'd start to favour Australia. So I think Sri Lanka needs to be careful and not go, not doctor it too much. It's true. Uh, they get, Sri Lanka get a bit of batting talent back as well. Angelo Matthews, the veteran all round, wasn't it? Yeah, the, the ex-captain comes back into the side and uh, Dinesh Chandamal, the wicketkeeper and batter, batter who didn't keep last time for Sri Lanka, but they're two accomplished batters. So, yeah, I think it'll – well, let's get to some questions. We've got a question from Sam. So he wants our series predictions. Um, he, so what's your series prediction for the, 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 the test series? I'm going – I'm going uh, 2-0 Sri Lanka. Funny, last time on this show I did 3-0 Australia and then I ended up having money on Sri Lanka before each of the matches and had a lovely um, financial success. I don't know what I'm going to do this time. Um, but, oh, I'm, I'm going to go, oh, I don't know. Um, I'll go 2-0 Australia. I like it. Um, and then so Sam has asked us for – for Smithy's average in how many centuries? In this series? Yep. I want to say high and lots. I don't feel I can, though. I'm not as confident about Smith as I once was, especially when he's under a slight injury cloud. Um, he's always still the one I cheer on most, so uh, I hope I'm wrong. But I'm going to say a- an average in the 30s with no centuries. Ooh. Um I, Smith, he's going to break his drought for me. Um, so I think he's going to score 100. He had a terrible time last time in Sri Lanka. He was the skipper. He lost his rag a few times. So I think he's going to score a ton. I think he'll average over 50. Sam has asked us for Manus. I don't think Manus will score a century. I think Manus will battle away and get lots of 30s and 40s, but I don't think he'll score the big one. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, he always seems to find a way, doesn't he? Um, you'll get dropped three times and make 70 and just, you know, he's, um, he's quality. So, yeah, I think Manus will average in the 40s and no centuries. Who do you think will be the leading wicket-taker for Australia in the series? Tim David. Oh, no, sorry. Um, I think <laughs> – um, <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, I – I'd like to say one of the left-arm orthodoxes. If, if Agar had been playing, I would have said Agar. But without him there and you're not sure who they're going to pick, um, I suppose the safe bet is Lyon. Um, so I suppose if I had to put my wife on the line, I'd say Lyon. 
Yeah, I agree, Lionel Stark. For me, Martin Lawrence has asked how many spinners will Australia need? Well, I, I think they'll go conservative for the first test match, Martin, and just pick two. But the, the wicket for this, the second test um, could be even more spin-friendly, in which case I think Australia should look at three and, and, and just see it as experience as well for them heading into more tours of the subcontinent. I think you're probably right. I think they probably will go in the first test with Lyon. I think they will go with the left-arm orthodox, whether it's Kuhneman or Holland. And Maxwell, will, I think, will probably play where – and I, I think his bowling will go well. Um, I, I, I hope they give him enough overs because I can see him take a few, taking a few wickets too. And, of course, you've got Labuschagne there, who is not bad either. Yeah, Maxwell was saying in, a, in, a, in an interview after the ODIs that he's been doing a lot of bowling in the nets in during the IPL with uh, Shri, the Australian spin bowling coach who was over with him in the IPL. And uh, he was bowling a lot, he said, and he feels very confident with the ball at the moment. So you're right, it'd be good to have him in there for the, his bowling skills. And not to just put him on for an over before tea. Like to say, we're going to give you a few extended spells. You're going to have an actual – we don't expect you to take 10 wickets, but we're going to give you a chance to, 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 to bowl some serious overs. All right, so that was our preview of the Sri Lankan series. Let's end this podcast the way we end all our Cricket Unfiltered with Can't Let It Go, that little bit of cricket news that you can't let go of. Paul, what's yours? Ah, what a glorious few test matches it's been with the English attitude. And I've always said that the whole notion of, oh, you know, test cricket, you've got to put your shots away and uh, bat time and um, grind it out and you've got to place that premium on your wicket. I've always said usually that's the wrong thing to do. And it's been a delight that England have once again emphasised how true that is. Not only is it the right thing to do to play aggressively because it's more fun for everyone to watch and it's an entertainment vehicle. It's actually the right thing to do from a pragmatic point of view to, to, to try to win games. That It's so telling that that game that England beat New Zealand where they had no right to do so, and Bairstow especially, and Stokes came out swinging, you contrast that with the game a year before when England had a very chaseable total and they didn't even try uh, to chase it against New Zealand. And I think that that demonstrates that if you play with judicious, intelligent aggression, then you're more likely to be successful than if you play in a boring, old-fashioned old fashioned boycott way. And it's wonderful when pragmatism meets beauty and that they both um, do the same thing. Mm. Yeah, I turned um, the cricket off as best. I walked out to the crease that night thinking <laughs> there is no way England can win this. They're not going to score, you know, 250-odd in – you know, a session and a half, and they did it with an hour to spare. So they made a fool of me. Um, my, my, that was incredible, <laughs> incredible night. Um, and Mike, I let it go. Was I mean, this is this is too nice to the English. So I don't know if we can delete all this or something. Maybe um, we'll have to do some work in post production. But England were playing the Netherlands in Amstelveen. I've seen cricket there, and then I went to sleep in the game. At, started and woke up the next day and I opened my phone and I said, I'm seeing England 498 and I think my eyes aren't working. I'm trying to focus properly. And then we you know wiped the sleep out of my eyes. I saw England had careered to 498 in 50 overs, the highest ever score in a in a 50 over innings, too short of 500, obviously. And 
one thing that makes me happy is it's gone past the record where Australia conceded yeah. 481 against England um, in 2019. But just phenomenal. Josh Butler, 162 off 70 balls. I know it's a small ground in Amstelveen. I've seen Australia play there in the 90s, but still just phenomenal. 2018, I think, not 2019, we conceded that. Oh, yeah. It was a five-match um, five series over there. That's we right, yeah. 5-0. Um, when that um, the old Billy Birmingham one where Australia played Sri Lanka and Australia got three for 560 or whatever it was in the 50 overs, and um, I remember at the time it was so funny because it was just so idiotically um, you know, Impossible. never going to happen. We're on the verge of that happening now. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, well... Um... Yeah, we, and look, we won't be that nice in the English again. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to Cricket Unfiltered, Paul. Great to catch up and chat about the, the Test Series. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And Yeah, and hopefully it's played in the same spirit as the um, these matches. I know that Sri Lanka is going through a very difficult time at the moment and people are, are really struggling over there. So our best, best wishes to everyone in Sri Lanka. And it was lovely seeing the crowd really warming to the Aussies after the series and that on the heels of the Pakistan series that was so well received as well. Um, it is so nice to have the Australian team playing in the, in the gracious way that we, you know, the history books say we used to play um, all the way back in those in the in the in the distant past. It's wonderful to see it happening again. And, um, you know, credit once again to the to the Aussies for for playing the game in the right spirit. Absolutely. And look, credit to the Aussies for going. Uh, they've gone to Pakistan under strict security. They're now in Sri Lanka. And uh, yeah, it's nice to see the team on the road again. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll be back, I guess, um, in a, about a month's time, taking a break now, and then we'll be back um, uh, next, at the end of next month. See you, everyone. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now, driving at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.